0: Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, and we'll read through verse 15. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right. As long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since i know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our lord jesus christ made clear to me and i will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things let's begin with prayer father god we pray that you would speak to us this morning as we listen to your words i pray lord that you would give me wisdom and a passion for your truth as I speak, not being afraid of um, failure, or of uh, what people may think of me, but speaking your truth clearly uh, because it is uh, truth. Your word is truth, and we know that it pierces our hearts. It speaks uh, to our minds and, and teaches us, Lord, how we ought to live And so we pray we listen carefully to this reminder from Peter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there can be a tendency at times in in Christian circles to talk a whole lot about grace, but hardly ever about works. To only discuss the hard work that Christ did for us and rarely talk about the hard work we are called to. To do, And there are some good reasons for this tendency. We want to make sure it's very clear that no one is saved by works. Christ's blood cleanses us from sin. Christ's works clothe us with righteousness. That's how we're made right with God. Our only role is to put our faith in Christ. And even that faith, we're told, is a gift from God. But there's more to the gospel than just justification. There's also a gradual growing in holiness uh, throughout our lives. We call this sanctification. And that is a partnership. It's not an equal partnership. God is still the primary actor. But we have work to do. And it is this aspect of sanctification that Peter wants you to think about today. He thinks it's so important to talk about this that he says he's going to make every effort so that even after his death, Christians will still be reminded of these things. Let me try to give you an illustration of this dynamic. For his 12th birthday, Bobby is given a garden by his parents. It's got dark, rich soil that's been nicely tilled. His parents even planted it with seeds. All the ingredients are there for Bobby to produce rich fruits and vegetables. He's not an equal partner in this work. He hardly even knows how those seeds grow. But he is a partner. He does have work to do. Now, if he sits inside all summer bragging about this uh, garden to his neighbors, there won't be much of a garden for them to look over the fence at. And they may begin to wonder if Bobby is really much of a gardener. Uh, maybe Bobby himself will, will come outside once in a while and look at the weed choked, dried out plants and, and have to mournfully admit that they're right. But what if Bobby's parents are continually reminding him of the work of a gardener? Bobby, time to pull out those weeds before they get too big. Uh, You know, Bobby, today you'll want to stake up some of those tomato plants so the fruits don't sit on the ground and rot. Or, you know, there hasn't been rain for a week, so make sure you get some water on those plants. We can't wait to eat some of the beautiful fruit you're growing. If if Bobby is stirred up for his work, if someone is continually reminding him, then maybe his garden will begin to exhibit life uh, and health and and will even bear fruit that, that gives life to his family and his friends. Little Bobby will be able to look at that garden and grow in his assurance that he is, in fact, A gardener. That is the difference between a Christian who works diligently to grow in holiness and one who ignores holiness. The one person's life looks little by little, more and more, like a garden, like the Garden of Eden. The other person's life looks like a wilderness. Uh, The one person's life is a blessing to them and to those around them. And, And it is a reason for confidence that there will be truly provided for them an entrance into the kingdom of God. The other person's life is a trial to them and to those around them and may leave them in constant doubt about their salvation. The Apostle Peter has no desire to see anyone live in that kind of darkness and blindness. And so he commits himself to remind us of the qualities that a Christian must diligently seek to produce. So how do we bear fruit? How do we grow? Well, Peter begins by telling us about the power for growth. So, my first point will be the power for growth. If Bobby's parents had sort of just told him, you know, Bobby, we want you to make a garden, and then tossed him out in the backyard with no tools, no directions, uh, no seeds, he wouldn't get very far, even if he was a very resourceful 12 year old. And let's be honest, when it comes to holiness, we are not often very resourceful. We need help. This is a very important starting point for talking about Christian growth. Peter gives us this starting point in verses 3 to 4, which is truly bursting with good things. It's an overflowing cornucopia of gifts that we could not even begin to face the rest of this text without. So stick with me as I dig through this for you. Make sure you've got the text in front of you. These are a complicated series of verses. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. So first, God's divine power has granted to us. It's a gift. There's no earning of it. All things that pertain to life and godliness. All things you need to live life and and do so in a moral manner. Godly way How do we get These things moving on Through the knowledge of him Who called us okay so Through knowing him Who called us either Jesus Or God or both we don't know exactly who It doesn't really matter what is important Is that this is not just an intellectual Knowledge this is a personal knowledge It's a relational knowledge which we gain When what he calls Us he says follow me and we follow, we walk after him. and We see what it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. And then moving along, he calls us to his own glory and excellence. He calls us to share in his own glory and his own glory. Excellence, his own goodness. We're not called to sit inside and brag about being a gardener to our friends. We're called to go out there and walk with the true gardener, sharing in his work, becoming like him. So he calls us to his own glory and excellence by which or because of which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. God knows we need help to share in His glory and His excellence. And so He gives us something. He gives us His precious and very great promises. What do these promises do for you? Just keep reading, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. These promises fulfilled in your life allow you to become, right, become over time. It's a process like Christ. In what way? In a way that is opposed to the corruption of the world, which you have escaped from, Uh, like him in his goodness, in his purity, his love, his wisdom, his beauty, Can you fathom that the God of all things would gift those who rightly acknowledge themselves to be loathsome sinners the ability to share in his own divine attributes? I doubt Peter could have grasped that right after he denied Jesus three times, and maybe in the middle of the fight, you don't always believe that either. But now, at the end of his life, Peter has a much clearer view backwards, and he can see the upward climb of holiness. He can see how the fires of his life burned out the waste and left pure silver behind. Peter tells you, look, start here in a relationship with the Lord, in the knowledge of Jesus, you are granted the power and the promises to grow in godliness. It is the grace of God to you that is the foundation for any growth. You must not forget that. It's the critical foundation for growth without which you will surely burn out. But if you would grow, you cannot stop here. Our friend Bobby would not have had much of a garden if he stayed inside all summer long. No, it's the very fact that you have been given these things. You've been given the power and the promises of God that demands you work. And so Peter transitions in verse 5. For this very reason, because of all that God has granted you, for this reason, make every effort. That's the main point of this text. Peter demands we not just sit on the grace that God has given us, but we put all our energy into partnering with him in the transformation that his grace works in our lives. And this is not the demand of what could be as if you were sort of looking over a a garden you might possibly decide to buy will it work out should I do it is it worth the work no this is the demand of who you are this is your body your soul we're talking about you don't have another one lying around anywhere and there's there's no other way to become a fruitful field except through the way that Peter reminds us here making every effort while standing firmly on the power and the promises of God. In verses 5 through 7, Peter describes some of the qualities of growth that we should pursue. So let's spend a few moments looking at those now. This will be my second point, the qualities of growth, the qualities of growth. Peter begins with faith firm belief in something that you cannot see. It makes sense for him to start here, because as we start on the road uh, towards holiness, it can be hard to believe we could ever be someone holy and beautiful. Maybe you've heard the story about the famous Greek sculptor uh, Michelangelo that He claimed that he could look at a rough block of marble and see within it the beautiful sculpture that it could be. We aren't the sculptor. We can't see who the Lord will make us to be. But he tells us there is a beautiful, perfect image of himself within us that he is committed to producing. And so we put our faith in him, that he has a plan for us. And as we work, he works to break off, to grind away the rough stone that surrounds us into this image of us that he has known from before the foundation of the world. Then uh, there is virtue, which we might define very simply as goodness, but the very best kind of goodness, where every thought, every action is entirely morally consistent and upright. We can only know what that kind of goodness looks like by watching the behavior of God himself. We, we participate in it as we follow in his footsteps and as we listen to his commands. Thirdly, we are to grow in knowledge. And given the context, this is not just general knowledge about anything, but this is religious knowledge about God, about his relationship to the world, about his relationship to us, to you. And then there's self-control, right? Which is the ability to say yes or no to your desires and your passions. Right, sometimes in this life, We find ourselves doing things we know are evil, are wrong. We can hardly stop ourselves. Or or doing things without even thinking about uh, whether we should be doing them. This is because our limbs, our tongues, our eyes, our bellies, our sexual organs all want things. Some of them good, some of them bad self-control gives us the ability based on virtue and, and knowledge to say yes or no to these desires. And next, Peter mentions steadfastness or perseverance which you need to have to get to the end of this list, but which you also need when you face suffering or temptation. And then there's godliness, which could be translated uh, duty or loyalty. Uh, you, you can think of it as submission to God in all of your life, from the calling he has placed upon you, uh, to the, the worldly authorities that you submit to, um, to the way he tells you to live. And next is brotherly love, which is uh, not a general love for all of humanity, but this is an affection that is specifically for other believers, for the family of God. We are urged to foster that type of affection for other Christians. Which, you know, because we're all at different points in our sanctification, is going to demand a lot of reconciliation. A lot of... Of forgiveness, a lot of forgetting and letting go. And finally, Peter mentions love, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 is the greatest of all Christian virtues. Love that looks like God's love is not just for family, but for our enemies, for those who hate us. It is active, not passive looking for ways to benefit others and sacrifice for them. All of these virtues will make the most sense to you if you take the time to write them down and briefly ask yourself, how is God asking me to grow in this quality right now with what is going on around me, with the sin that I am struggling with or the trials I am experiencing? What is the next step right now for me to grow in each of these areas? And then, maybe to ask yourself, is the image of me growing in these qualities attractive to me? Is it beautiful? Do I want it? Peter thinks you need To grow in holiness. And that will be my third point then the need for growth. The need for growth. Now, gardeners will talk about three major things that you need uh, to add to your soil in order to grow fruit nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the big three of garden fertilizers. In the same way, Peter tells us in verses 8 that Christians will need to gain and build the qualities he's just mentioned in order to be fruitful. Maybe you've seen people who call themselves Christians, but who just don't look much like their knowledge of Christ has any effect on their lives. They're not very effective, and they're not very fruitful. Maybe you feel this way. Or maybe you can recall a time in your life when you felt this way. Sometimes it's because there's a particular sin that dominates your life, sort of like uh, a plant that is using all its strength just to fight off a horde of aphids sucking out its life. It doesn't have any strength left to worry about producing food. It's just trying to survive. Sometimes this happens because you don't bother to partake of the things that God says will give you the strength to grow. His word, prayer, the Lord's Supper, fellowship with other believers, you're left just too spiritually exhausted to grow any fruit. Perhaps it feels like the circumstances of your life are what keep you ineffective and fruitless. Intense suffering or heavy responsibilities. These are not simple things. They are hard challenges to growth. And yet, let's remember that barriers to growth can can indeed become growth accelerators when they push us in desperation to the Lord. At other times, we, we might have to take drastic pruning steps to go from being fruitless to fruitful. And here's what's at stake. Uh, Peter goes on in verse 9 to tell us, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter, it, Pe- Peter is talking about Christians, here It's terrifying and sad. He says, those who don't pursue growth actually begin to pull the scales back down over their eyes. They, they pick the burden of, of their sin back up. They, they submit once again to the yoke of slavery and forget that they were washed. It's ironic, sometimes... Christians will associate the pursuit of holiness with legalism and a failure to accept God's grace. Yet, Peter warns of the opposite danger here, that those who fail to pursue holiness are also in danger of forgetting grace. The solution is Peter's approach here in this text. Grace is the necessary foundation for pursuing holiness. The reality of your cleansing from sin is the fountain from which true obedience flows. You do not fully understand your cleansing if you do not value the fight for holiness. And you will turn into a legalist or just crash and burn if you try to fight for holiness without resting on Christ's cleansing. Well, Peter continues in verses 10 to 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, Peter ties the work of sanctification to your confidence that you are a Christian, to your assurance. Let's just go back briefly to our man, Bobby, from my introduction with this garden that his parents have given him. In, In giving him this garden, his parents call him to be a gardener. But Bobby's not going to feel like much of a gardener until he begins to work at that garden and to produce fruit. The more diligent he is at his work, the more he's going to feel like a gardener. Even if he makes mistakes all summer long, if he sticks it out, if he perseveres, he will learn from his mistakes. And those few hard-won fruits at the end of the summer, they will feed his interest and his passion for continuing to garden. This is the idea that Peter is getting at here in verse 10. Diligence in the work of sanctification confirms our assurance of salvation. It gives us confidence that we are Christians. If we can look back at the long arc of our lives and we can see growth in these Qualities, even if it's torturously slow, we need not ever fall into doubt and discouragement about whether we are saved. The existence of sanctification in our lives confirms our status. But let's be clear about one important way that my illustration breaks down Bobby's parents are not God. Right? They may tell Bobby he's called to be a gardener, and Bobby may say, well, I'm not interested. Or maybe he'll work at it for half the summer and then give up and never try it again. That is not how God calls people. His call is always effective. People may struggle mightily against God or live decades in deep doubt about their salvation, and yet if he has chosen them, he will not be defeated. Read Ephesians 1.4 or Romans 9.10 or just listen to Jesus' comforting words from John 6.37. All that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. In God's mind, There is no doubt concerning the salvation of his people. However, Peter's emphasis here is on the human side of the equation, and so there is a strong warning in this text. Those who claim to be Christians, but throughout their lives, never display any growth in holiness, have no reason to assume that they will enter the kingdom of Christ. Peter presents this positively. He says, look, if you diligently practice these qualities, there will be richly provided for you an entrance. And we should recognize that this forward-looking hope is ours for the taking. You can have assurance of salvation. But I don't want anyone to leave here deceived about the importance of pursuing holiness to the Christian life. It does not save you. But if it does not matter to you, I cannot offer you any assurance that you belong to the Lord. This is a difficult truth. So let me offer a few thoughts for those who may struggle with what they see in their lives First, remember that back in verse 8 and 9, Peter indicates that it is possible for true Christians uh, to be ineffective, to be fruitless, uh, to be nearsighted to the point of blindness for long periods of time. We don't want this for anyone. That's why Peter is so insistent about stirring his readers up. But it can happen. And so we need to be ready to persevere ourselves and to help others through and out of this in their own lives. Secondly, believers will differ in the amount of sanctification they experience in this life. Do not measure yourself in comparison to others. This may have to do with when you were saved in life. It may have to do with how diligent you are to work at your sanctification. It may just be God's plan for you, how he has chosen to glorify himself in your life. Thirdly, please, never make the judgment that you are not saved on your own. You can't see clearly on your own. Let me say that again. You cannot see clearly on your own. Other people who have known you over time will always have a better perspective on the hills, the valleys, the plateaus of growth in your life. Further, the human heart is deceitful. It will tempt you to doubt. And the devil is deceitful. His minions will absolutely toss the lie at you that that you could not possibly belong to Jesus because of your pitiful growth in holiness. Expect that lie. It will come at you. You have to reject it with the shield of faith. You may feel ugly and dirty when you look at yourself. But praise Jesus, that is not what God sees. Because God sees what what his power is able to create. And he has committed his power to making his people new. Therefore, brothers, sisters, remind each other of these things. God has given you the power for growth. His grace is indeed sufficient to help you, yes, you, grow in holiness so that your knowledge of Jesus will not be ineffective, will not be fruitless, but rather a witness to one another that the Lord will surely provide for us an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do seek your name this day. For we desire to grow, Lord, but we find it difficult. And so we want to be reminded first and foremost of the foundation of our growth, your power that you give us, that you grant us. We don't earn it, you give it. And it is sufficient for us to grow. And yet, Lord, we face this difficult balance of being commanded to work as well as you work in us lord we are called to work to be diligent and and peter lord shows us that we need to view this as important we need to see the value of growing in these qualities which will make us fruitful make us effective and give us confidence that we are your people Father, I pray for those who struggle with this, and I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who stir each other up, who remind each other of your goodness, and then encourage each other to pursue the way that you call us to live, which is good and which is right. We pray this in Jesus' name.